We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello to everyone listening to That Platinum Mask Podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Mamta Rana of Matrika Henna. And this was a chat that I wanted to kind of have because really I like having conversations with, you know, different types of subjects that I'm obviously not well versed in or I don't even really think about too often in my kind of day-to-day life and really kind of uh, just coming over some of the blog posts that featured her. It made me kind of wonder, you know, I don't know too much about henna. Um, you know, I have kind of some traditional tattoos and it made me kind of wonder, you know, what are the similarities between, um, you know, a tattoo artist and someone that um, has a profession in henna and, you know, uh, the different uh, similarities between those two things. And yeah, so thank you again, Monta, for, you know, jumping on this episode with me and give me, you know, um, some in-depth perspective of your profession. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and a little nervous too. (laughs) (laughs) That's me at the beginning of every episode. It's all good. Um, No, it really, um, really when I kind of reached out, the kind of the first thing I wanted to dive into was, you know, asking on how you got kind of involved with, um, you know, what was it about henna? uh, Did that happen? Like, were you exposed to it like in your childhood or how did that go? So, yeah, I was exposed to it in my childhood. I am, uh, I was born into a Hindu family and uh, every festivals we would have, like henna is uh, widely used in our um, culture and it's been adopted by our culture for auspicious occasions and stuff. So, um, a lot of the times whenever we would have like religious festivals or we would have to fast, um, we would celebrate ourselves or the goddess or one of the goddesses or God in whatever aspect and by applying henna. And I don't know, like from a very young age, it was just very interesting to me. Um, Just the whole process of mixing the paste to putting the paste in a cone, to putting it on your hands, watching it dry, watching, it's stain and the stain develop over time to watching it fade away. Um, it was a whole process. And mm-hmm. then eventually that process kind of grew into such a meaningful uh, thing for me. And it helped me heal. Um, and it helped me get through some of my most trying times. Mm-hmm. And well, I don't think I would say it's my most trying times because I'm quite young. I would like to believe but so far, <laughs> mm-hmm. it has helped me. Yeah. I mean, you kind of uh, touched up on really your introduction started through kind of family events. And I, I kind of want to ask, um, you know, is, uh, I, I guess, events still as frequent amongst Indian Americans or, um, you know, is it more frequent if you 
you know, go back to India because I know you uh, did like a trip, uh, correct? Yes, yes, I did do a trip. Uh, well, we went in 2011. And that's kind of like where my whole like henna journey really started. Before then, um, I was just somebody who like admired henna and was like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing in the world. I could never do that because I can't even draw a stick figure kind of thing. And, uh, <laughs> or like, we are, our own, we are our own worst critic. So, <laughs> uh, that was definitely something that happened. But nowadays, I feel like there is, we Indian Americans, especially American born Indian Americans or South Asians, are kind of, um, hesitant on learning about Indian culture because, uh, there is no meaning behind it. Like, why are we fasting? What reason are we fasting for if we are fasting or if we're celebrating uh, a culture? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Um, and I think that kind of stems from we want to pass that meaningfulness, that I've, uh, that meet, that knowledge on to future generations. And um, I feel like past generations just kind of did it because they had to do it without reasoning because they didn't question it. And um, coming here uh, or growing up here, we've kind of earned the privilege to question things back then um, or pa few past generations. They just kind of were like, OK, I have to do this to put bread on the table. So I'm going to do it. Um, I have to have faith like they didn't have time to question things. They just did it. And we have the liberty to question things now, especially with the pandemic, in my opinion. Um, we've had a lot of time to sort of be introspective. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's something that we are a little hesitant. But I also think that coming out of the pandemic, there may be a shift in the way we approach culture as well. So that's that's mm -hmm. going to be really interesting to see. Yeah. No, I kind of liked how you, you know, you bring up the different... I guess the comparisons between, you know, generation and generation, um, you know, were your parents American born or um, uh, did they come over here or what was that like? So they immigrated. Um, they met in the States, but they immigrated from India um, a, a long time ago when they were in their when they became adults. So like my dad, when he was 18, my mom, when she was a little younger than that. And um they just, they were just like, I wanted to, I guess a lot of uh, Indians think that, or a lot of people that are from third world countries think that they, coming to a first world country is easy and life is easy and it's better and it's a better quality life. And in my opinion, um, there, everything comes at a cost. And even though there is security here, and even though there is, uh, what do they call it? Like, America is the land of dreams. Um, it's a lot of work, too. You don't, uh, the culture in India is so much different, and the, what, the lifestyle is so different than it is here. And I think a lot of people forget that. And so when they come here, they try to find that same lifestyle here, and it doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. Is there any, uh, when you kind of mention the lifestyle, is there anything that I guess popped out to you or to your family that, um, you know, you didn't really expect, um, you know, kind of in America or uh, I guess with your parents in America? 
Um, uh, could you rephrase that question? I'm not sure I understood it. Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to like ask, um, you know, you kind of talked about such different lifestyles. Is there any, um, you know, key examples that, uh, you know, is so different in India and living in India when your parents came over? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So over there in India, we have, they, you have the ability to have help. So having hiring services for maids and stuff like that is it's not only cheaper, but it helps out in your own quality and stress of life. So you can hire a maid to cook for you and clean for you. Um, so you just have to work and pay the bills. However, there is no security in India. So, you know, yeah. So you have that. So you come to the States, you have security here, but you don't have, like, you can't have someone cooking and cleaning for you. So, yeah, you, you don't, you can, <laughs> it's, excuse me, you, you can, you have to pay for it. So a lot of, a lot of immigrants can't afford that. And so because they can't afford that, they, that brings on more stress for them. And it's harder for them to adjust to this quality of life. Or I'm not saying it's harder. It's just a shock. It's a culture shock because they see people living life and they want to live that life. And it's not easy. When we go to India with our iPhones and like brand name clothes and shoes and stuff like that, they're like, oh, my God, we have foreigners. They have all this brand name stuff. They have iPhones. We have to work so hard for an iPhone. And it's this many. Also, there's a currency change exchange. Like, uh, I think the $1 here is like 60 something, 70 something rupees over there. So if you take the cost of an iPhone, I mean, if you carry an iPhone around in India, you're kind of, you're kind of a big wig there, you know, like, so they, like little kids, teenagers see that and they don't understand like what that means. And they're just like, oh, I want to go to America. I want to go to London. I want to go to Australia. And they get there and then they're like, oh, wait a second. Nobody told me that like, you know, a dollar would only pay for, you know, McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. So whereas in India, you would get like a whole meal <laughs> for a dollar. So there is that there is that culture shock. So I feel like that that needs to be educated and understood amongst a whole amongst both parties, both both cultures, I think. And to put it the other way, right, I feel like us American Indians go to India and all we see is the dirt and the filth and the cows walking on the street and the poop and just just it being hot and muggy and we don't see uh we don't see how people celebrate the valley or how people celebrate just life in general and how laid back it is and i feel like there is a little bit of jealousy there so we're just like no we're not gonna go there yeah there is that and then there is a level of faith that's involved in religion as well that i feel like is a factor Definitely. And with, I guess with, um, with, with kind of your parents' background and, um, you know, marrying early and coming over to this country and with some of the cultural shocks and differences possibly that you would find in your lifestyles in both different countries, uh, you know, was there kind of, uh, you know, were they optimistic or pep- pessimistic when it, when you brought up kind of your, um, business related to henna or, and you, that you had a huge passion for that? Yeah, they, uh, 
they totally freaked out. They were like, wait, what? <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> you don't want to do medicine? You don't want to do IT? Mm. Are you sure you want to do henna? They were like, why don't you do it on the side? That's probably better if you do it on the side. And then, you know, or just do it whenever festivals come around and don't focus on it too much. And that's that's great to do, but it's not a profession. You can't make that into a career. And um, in a way, it's they were they were not wrong. It, they were just looking out for me because if you look at it from their eyes, my dad my dad came to America with eight dollars in his pocket. And I think if you ask every other South Asian this question, they will say, yes, my dad came to this country with $8 in his pocket. We never hear the end of this story. It is always like the topic of conversation. And it's hilarious and annoying at the same time. Um, but it's also motivating. My dad, uh, he really wanted to come here. So he uh, saved up money and came here and met my mom and they got married. $8. I guess. Uh, but for them, um, $8 is a lot of money in India. It's a lot of rupees. So he saved up and came here. And then um, when when they moved to Texas, he opened his own convenience store. And my mom studied. Like, they, they built themselves up. And they, uh, they had moments where they were broken down. And then they built themselves up again. So they had seen life through a lens of hardship and turmoil and I had seen a life or have seen a life through comfort and I had seen their struggle but I had also been given the privilege to dream I had also like I I went to school here and in school here I we read storybooks as well and we I would watch movies of I don't know like your dreams come true you know fairy tale Disney stuff so I think we all have the power to dream and I, my parents didn't have that power, but they gave it to me and they sacrificed a lot in their life so that I could have a lot of privileges, like having a bed at night and having AC and, you know, having heat in the winter. And um, so it was, I don't know how to explain it exactly because I don't, like, it was really difficult. The whole process was difficult. Like, Hey, I get, everything that you've done and I get where you're coming from but I you sacrificed so much so I could have a better future and I know that this better future I could help bring more better futures to other people and we're talking about progression here so it's kind of um I guess it's something along the lines of like progression doesn't have to look like suffering you know we, we all, I'm not saying, like, I have, I know that my generation has mental health issues. And mental health issues, I think, stem from years and years of watching our parents just put their head down and do the work, put their head down and do the work, pay the bills, put their head down, do the work, pay the bills, make sure the kids are okay. Like, and they didn't have time for themselves, but we have time for ourselves now. And because we have time for ourselves, we're just kind of, um, sitting and just thinking like, oh, well, my, when I was 26, my parents had a kid and they were working a job and my mom was working two jobs and was in school. And I'm just sitting here working a job and I have this dream of being an artist. 
And so that stems a lot of like anxiety and chaos and in our minds. And um, then parents or family or loved ones unknowingly kind of add to that. They kind of guess <laughs> in a in a very um, in a very humble way. They kind of gaslight it in your mind, and you're just kind mm-hmm. of like, "Oh, okay, well, I'm 26, and I have absolutely nothing figured out." <laughs> and so I think I think us as a generation is dealing with that right now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like yeah, I think the conversation though with my parents is, and uh, it's going to be an ongoing conversation. Even when I feel like even when I'm on my deathbed, I will still be like, no, mom, it's okay. Like, I'll be talking to her in heaven. Like, it's okay. I think I'll be okay. (laughs) I think my kids will be okay. Well, we're going to be still not going to be a doctor yet. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) No, no, it's okay. They don't need to be a doctor. We're fine. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So you kind of, uh, you mentioned earlier on, really with uh, kind of some of the movies that you're watching on uh, really on the cultural differences and kind of movies allowed you to kind of dream bigger. I remembered, uh, you know, saying on one of the blogs, you kind of talked about, um, you know, how much Bollywood kind of meant to meant to your childhood outside of henna. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to ask on, uh, you know, someone that's not, uh, you know, that doesn't know anything about the industry is there any like top Bollywood films that you possibly recommend? Yeah. So if you need some motivation, I would recommend a movie by the name of Three Idiots. Uh, <laughs> it's a hilarious movie. It's about three uh, friends. They, they're they in college and it's their journey of like what they're really passionate about. So their four years in college, what they go through, how they overcome that, um, how they overcome the pressure of engineering school how they overcome the pressure of going, following their dreams. And it's just like a feel good movie. It makes you feel good in the end. And then there's another movie that I watched called um, PK. And it's about this alien that comes to earth and um, they have this cylindrical or like they wear this necklace, which is uh, like a button to call their their spaceship back to the earth so they can go back home. And someone steals it. And so then it's his journey of finding his way through different religions um, to find his little necklace so that he can go home. And all he wants to do is go home. And But it showcases the different religions and the different polarities that we have in different religions. And um, are, are we talking about religion or are we talking about faith? Did Did we make God or did God make us kind of? It's, it, it gets you thinking. So that's those are a couple of movies that you can watch. And then um, like a romantic comedy would be a classic. Like uh, it's called Gabi Kushi Gabi Gum, which means which translates to sometimes happy, sometimes sad moments. Um, it's just a family drama that, you know, if you've had a bad day, have some pizza, wine, chocolate, sit back and pretend like the world doesn't exist kind of movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a good like feel good movie to watch so yeah those are some of my classic movies that i kind of go to Mm -hmm. yeah i guess so that was like uh like a big part of your childhood um you know outside of uh really just kind of like what hannah did to like help you out yeah so like i i think that bollywood has a really good way of romanticizing life and 
And so because, uh, like, sometimes we get so stuck in our realities that we 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 sort of um, see ourselves becoming pessimistic or see ourselves losing motivation or see us as being less important. So I think whenever I sit and watch a Bollywood movie, I mean, that you have to be in a mindset to watch a Bollywood movie because let me tell you, all Bollywood films are like musicals, number one. Number two, like you're going to have to leave some of your logic at home because not everything makes sense. <laughs> but if you look at the overall system and if you find the overall theme of the movie, um, I think it can inspire you in a way to sort of be like, oh, well, like life is actually, it can be a good thing. Yeah, there are ups and downs. But I think I'm going to progress a little bit more. And also, to be honest, I'm a hopeless romantic. And so, you know, <laughs> it helps in that department, too. <laughs> yeah, doesn't um, don't like most of the mainstream movies end with like, like a dance off or does that happen a lot? Yes, yes. I do tend to tend to stick to um, like watching older movies than newer movies, because I feel like now there's a the whole aspect of um body image and uh what what we're we're teaching our future generations and current generations as well um i do have an issue with bollywood in that department as of right now however um in past movies i feel like we're a little bit more structured (laughs) in the storyline versus watching the newer ones now so i think yeah i think in in that aspect Bollywood. And you have to be really careful with Bollywood because you can sit there. Yeah, it, that's a whole like it's like a Pandora's box. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can assume with uh I mean, with it being larger than Hollywood that yeah, it could be like Pandora's box like you said on just some bizarre stuff out there. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know though. I don't know if it's bigger than Hollywood now to be honest with you. I feel like I feel like um me as a Bollywood fan, I think I am looking for something more original now. Um and I think Bollywood is producing a lot of like remakes and you can only do so many remakes before it gets boring. So yeah. An original will always be an original. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely. Well, I kind of wanted to, you know, circle back on um, you know, really on, we kind of talked about your introduction to Hannah and just wanted to kind of ask, you know, more in depth on, you know, kind of what you make. So for, you know, cause I, I don't really have a background or knowledge in a Hannah. I wanted to ask on what goes into Hannah, uh, Hannah and what is like the process on, you know, drawing it on someone's arm or hand or. Yeah, for sure. So Hannah is actually comes from the leaves from the dried leaves of a flowering shrub um, that grows in um, very arid regions. Um, It originated in Egypt and made its way around South Asia, Asia and Southeast Asia um, and through Africa as well. So uh, the you grow it. It's a flowering shrub. And then afterwards it, after the leaves are cultivated, they're dried. So, and then they're ground into a super duper fine powder. Um, and the, the more you sift the powder, the more 
uh, thinner of a line you can make if potentially whenever you're doing line work on with, with your henna paste. And then theoretically speaking, that henna is packaged and shipped across around the world. And then when you receive the package, you you can mix it with some kind of acid component like water because water does have some acidic properties in it. Water, tea, coffee, lemon. Um, some people even use apple juice. And you mix it and you add whatever other ingredients you'd like to. I use I use uh I use tea or water, uh essential oils, um sugar, and I mix my paste for I mix it into two it's a two step process. So first I mix the pa- the powder and the paste and those four ingredients together to make kind of like a mashed potato like consistency. So it's too hard, um, just enough to like make a dough almost. And then I let that sit for 24 hours. And what happens in that process is um, henna, this flowering shrub, uh, the leaves contain something called lawson dye which is the dye in henna, which is what actually stains the skin. <clears throat> and it's a henna tonic acid. It basically is henna tonic acid. And it's the red-orange dye that's in henna leaves. And that's what stains the skin. So, and the reason why we put something acid-like in the the powder is to break down the to break down the leaf and release that that dye. Hence the term dye release. So you leave it out for 16, 18 hours, um, depending on the day and the temperature in a warm area for dye release to happen. And then after that, I adjust the consistency. I either add like a flower water, like rose water or orange blossom water to make the consistency that I like. And then I cone it up. I use cellophane and roll my own cones and cone it up. And then we apply it on the skin. When you apply it on the skin, you you have to let the paste dry, which is a whole 30 to 40 minute process. Um, and then you can crumble the paste off and then the paste, the Lawson dye oxidize, oxidizes with the oxygen. in the <laughs> It oxidizes over a period of 24 to 48 hours. And then as it oxidizes, it reaches it the red orange stain darkens into more of a burgundy stain. So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful little process. And then um, you'll get that stain for about a week and then it'll fade away over time. Yeah. So, and the reason why that happens, I could talk about this process all day long, so (laughs) you can stop me whenever. Um, So the reason why that happens is henna is technically permanent. So, you put the henna on your skin and what happens on the cellular level is that that dye content uh, stains the the melanin of that cell all the way through. So when you have a full, <laughs> when you have a full, like fully stained cell and you wash your hands, you're washing away that cell. So technically, technically speaking on a scientific level, henna is permanent it just has a temporary like effect on the skin and the difference. Yeah. So that's, that's part of the reason why henna is so different from tattoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask on, you kind of talked about kind of the burgundy color can like henna 
come in different colors or would it be like, would chemicals need to be used for something like that? Yes. I'm, um, yeah. So henna comes in a, a range of, it doesn't come in a range. It just has one color. It just has that red orange dye. And depending on your body chemistry and uh, pre-care and aftercare, it, you can potentially have a super deep, dark burgundy stain that almost looks black, but it's very difficult to achieve um, immediately. So people who say like, you just have to put henna on your hand for 30 minutes and then wash it off and you get a super dark burgundy stain or a black stain or black henna, quote unquote. Um, those people are selling chemical-based henna, which is really not good for the skin. And I just like to advise everyone listening to this podcast not to indulge in that because if uh, a chemical reacts with your skin, you could be permanently damaged and it will totally ruin, um, it can permanently damage your skin. Just, you don't want it. You're better off like getting an ink tattoo or looking for a natural artist um, just please take the time to look for a natural artist. Just trust me on this. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, chemical based henna is um, when art it's it's like a shortcut for artists because they either don't understand the technicalities of how henna works or they want to make fast money. And chemical-based henna doesn't really focus on the blossone content in the dye. They just know that if they mix this powder up with like hair dye per se, hair dye, and then you add lemon juice on top of that. So now you're reacting two different acids together. And then you put that on the skin and you don't tell your, like if, if a person maybe comes with lotion and you're like, no, it's okay. Like lotion's fine. You can, I'll do your henna for you. And you have, you know, so then you have three different kinds of chemicals on your skin and that reacts so people just don't understand and I feel like more people should take the time to understand Mm -hmm. how henna works and then progress and yeah (laughs) because you essentially you are you are putting somebody else's health at on you are serving somebody else and you Mm -hmm. are serving their health and their health is your responsibility so if, if there are artists out out there especially in like touristy areas who just want to make some money and i get it we all want to make money and you can it's henna is not an expensive product henna powder quality henna powder is not expensive um so do your research and learn about henna before you go and use it on other people (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah you um compared like some of uh some of the differences between um, maybe getting like, uh, just a tattoo versus getting henna. And I wanted to ask, um, on the differences from, I guess the training perspective, because I know from, I know a couple of people that have gone into apprenticeships for tattooing where, um, I don't know if it's part-time or full-time, but you know, you're in the shop, um, you know, helping out with, uh, certain responsibilities and then they give you kind of free time to be able to work on skin because it's kind of like without, you know, you can be drawing all day. It's just not the same as working with actual skin. And I wanted to ask on, you know, if there's the same type of, uh, you know, do people do apprenticeships in henna or, you know, is, um, does it have the same rigorous training process or, you know, how'd you kind of step up your kind of line work and everything? 
Yeah, that totally depends on the artist, in my opinion, and how they approach their business. Um, I feel like there's a lot of scarcity mindset going on in, in the henna industry right now. And that's purely because we come from a very cultured background. And um, <clears throat> I think that we're very protective about the knowledge that we have about henna. And to be very honest and blunt, um, henna is owned by no religion or culture. It's just a plant, right? And you can't own a plant. You can't say that, oh, henna is solely for Hindus and only these people or only women can have henna. Men can have henna too. Like it doesn't matter if you're Christian, you can have henna as well. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim, you can still have henna. It doesn't matter if you came from the earth or the sky or from a blue tree, it, you're allowed <laughs> to have henna because it's just a plant. Um, now, if you do have an allergy to grasses and shrubs, I would do a test to see if you can have henna because you might be allergic to it. Now, that's a different story. I mean, you can't have henna if you're allergic to it. I'm sorry about that. But, um, <clears throat> to answer your question, apprenticeships. Um, yeah, I feel like depending on the artist, you can. And depending on how they choose to handle that. Some artists are, like I said, very pretentious and they like to keep everything a secret and you're kind of just like it's kind of like in design if you look in interior design firms and stuff like that some people just don't want to give away their secrets so you're just kind of done you're just kind of stuck doing the legwork like you're the coffee person you're the cleanup you're the prep person and yeah there are you know some some artists will be like okay well you can be my plus one and you're just there at parties doing extra hands and it you don't really grow. Um, you know, you, you, I feel like every, every business, every culture, every career, if everybody thought in a growth mindset, this world would progress so much. Like it's not even about the talent anymore. It's about the growth. Um, we would have, so many less problems <laughs> it's not even funny anyway but yeah so I think um yeah I think a, an ideal apprenticeship in henna would be somebody who works together you learn stuff from that artist from the I don't know you learn stuff from the the teacher if you will and um you also learn from the students sometimes like um, I do run a day job from time to time and I train other people at my job and I learn from them. Like sometimes, you know, a fresh set of eyes can teach you a new way to do something. If you've been doing, if you've been drawing a certain line for years and years and years, and all of a sudden somebody comes and does a line a different way. And you're like, wait a second, I never thought of that. Like I can do that too. So like, essentially what you're doing is you're growing the craft you're not growing. Yeah. You're not growing yourself. Like I think it, I'm trying not to make it political, but it's not about you. It's about the craft. You're serving the craft. So <clears throat> I feel like that's what apprenticeships are all about. And in the industry, I feel like that's like, um, that's something that's just started in the past five years, if I, if, if you will. And I think we have a lot of growing in that department to go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, uh, you kind of uh, touched up on, you know, really starting out doing like, um, you know, hands at parties. I wanted to ask, you know, was there any recent 
projects that, uh, or, you know, what was kind of the most, uh, time, uh, inclusive or, you know, hardest project you had to tackle, you know, was there someone that, you know, you had to do like a lot of small details or you had to do hint on a, a large area or how did that go? So I have an issue in my, like my problem is I can't stop doing henna. So I, yeah, my designs tend to be very detailed, like automatic, like from the get go. So I have a hard time doing like looser stuff and that's where my challenge is. So recently I had a client tell me that they wanted only a certain amount of henna on their skin. And they only wanted fingers and something small in the middle of their palm. So I took on the challenge and I was very happy to do it. So, uh, but it was very difficult because I was like, okay, wait, that's not enough. And the problem that I have is like, okay, is that um, when I think the problem that most artists have is pricing their work. And I think I was like, oh, wait, that's not, that's not, that's not worth the money. That's like very little. And uh, <laughs> so I was like, no, wait a second, wait a second. This this is actually kind of fly. So then I presented the design and she loved it. And I was very happy that she did. But overall, I I worked a lot of endless nights coming up with that piece. And <laughs> I'm very happy that she liked it because I had no plan B. I was just going to wing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, no, this has to work. There is no way that this cannot work. And it didn't. I was very happy. So <laughs> there is that. Um, but there was that. And then uh, you have your difficult brides who are like, I want this and I want it now and I want it here. And it has to be like this. Even when you say like, no, that's not a good placement for that particular piece. Um, at the end of the day, it's the customer's day. So you, I, I don't mind doing it. Um, I think it's very difficult to sort of convince people sometimes that that probably is not the best place for a place to place certain things um yeah that's also difficult in my opinion because i can be very opinionated (laughs) (laughs) Um, i wanted to ask on really with henna uh because i came across you know a quote on kind of your website um you know with uh matrika henna we understand the importance of uh, digging deeper, building connection and honoring the warrior in you. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I wanted to ask, you know, during COVID-19, I guess, what was the, that like in the business where, you know, social distancing was there and, you know, building connections was, you know, much harder during the time? Yeah. So building connections, in my opinion, First of all, I Matrico Henna was not operating during COVID. Um, and that was very difficult and it was very hard for the business in general. Um, digging deeper doesn't have to always have mean that you have to be with someone else. Digging deeper can also be that you stay in tune with yourself and meditate and be introspective on how you can come out of this. Um now that like henna is my passion and my baby and when i couldn't do it and there were financial constraints because i wasn't making money like that was very difficult for me um because i was like oh um how am i going to stay afloat how am how is my business going to recuperate from this and 
building connection. I built connection by reading. I read a lot <clears throat> of like Dalai Lama stuff. Um, I read how to be creative. I um, I went back to my craft. I learned how to make new designs and um, continued studying the art. And when you go back to educating yourself on something that you're well-versed in, it doesn't make you any more of a le- or less of an expert. It just makes you a student. And you kind of regain your passion. You kind of regain your love for that art. I love art in general. So do painting and drawing and learning about charcoal or going getting a Skillshare subscription and learning watercolor. Like, um, it's just something that we all have to go through. And I feel like COVID-19 in itself and quarantine, more specifically, was sort of a push for all of us to just kind of be more introspective and learn about ourselves. I feel like sometimes we get so caught up in making money and be adulting that we forget that we have mental needs and we have we kind of forget who we are and so I feel like that's very important for us to grasp again yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well to kind of ramp this up I wanted to ask you know when we kind of discussed COVID-19 and you know with uh, vaccinations and social distancing uh, declining uh, really wanted to ask you know on your business moving forward are you optimistic with henna and kind of the mainstream context um and you know what are you excited about moving forward what are you doing right now that's you know going to help henna and the dfw area yeah of course i mean i feel like i feel like metrica henna is uh predominantly uh women oriented i mean we uh, we welcome men anytime any day but like uh it's predominantly for women and I feel like women are, we're instinctively caregivers. And I think during the whole pandemic, I feel like there was a lot of pressure on, on females in general and, and males too. I'm just saying like instinctively, our our instinct to give care was on overdrive. And I feel like now that things are settling down, we're kind of we're feeling it. <laughs> we're feeling like the the tiredness of it because now we have vaccinations and we can kind of relax a little bit, but there's so much more to do because I feel like for a mother, cause I, I watched my mother, my mother's a nurse. So I saw her through the pandemic and observed her work and her stress and her coming home and not hugging us and like cooking dinner and like just being by herself and um, in order to protect us, you know, and seeing her now kind of want to reach out and be with her kids and seeing like that I see a lot in my mom. So um, I built the business sort of behind observing my mom and watching her take care of us, but then nobody yeah. really taking care of her. And I was just like, man, and it wasn't that nobody was taking care of her. We, we all took care of her. It was just not in the way that she took care of us. And so that kind of, yeah, everything just kind of stemmed from that. And watching her again through the pandemic just kind of blew my mind as to like what a superwoman she is. And there are so many more other women who do the same thing, right? Like even youngsters like us, like my age, are out there like chasing their dreams, paying the bills, you know, 
going through the mental health crisis or speaking to therapists, going against their parents' wishes, you know, and it's a lot. And I feel like um, sometimes it's important for us to honor us. And it's important for us to recognize that we're warriors and um, everyone's a warrior in their own way. And, you know, there's that part, there's the mental part of it. And then the other part of it is if you have wet henna on your hands, you really can't do anything for like 40 minutes anyway. So you might as well just sit down and be, you know, like there's that whole, (laughs) there's, there's that whole like perspective of it as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when you when you can't move around too much um you your body is calm and when your body's calm your mind also starts to calm down mm. and throughout the pandemic that was very important for not only me it was important for me and mm. it was very important for my clients as well and i um but like i said i wasn't able to uh henna them during that time mm-hmm. um but a lot of my clients I did speak to over email and stuff. And we spoke about things like reading books. So we read the Dalai Lama together, which was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> we read some, um, we watched some movies together. It was a good spin on, um, I don't know. It was a good spin on just like life and how we socialize. And now I think the hard part is getting back to socializing how we used to socialize. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's, um, you know, really cool with kind of COVID that you were able to, you know, be able to read with your clients and, you know, take such a tragic situation and actually come up with um, a creative spin on it. And then also, um, you know, a mental health spin and uh, just overall bettering yourself. But no, it seems like, yeah, yeah, kind of with the transition now, I'm really hoping that you know your business continues to increase henna in the dfw area and just all demographics and you know areas in dallas and fort worth but thank you again mamta for you know jumping on this podcast with me and Mm -hmm. uh really explaining your business and you know your background and Mm -hmm. a a lot of kind of the ins and outs of henna it was uh, you know it was cool to talk about and um, you know, I'm glad to kind of hear about some of the process and just kind of the overall training and everything like that. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, henna is totally my passion. And so <laughs> I know a lot of it, uh, a lot about it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that um, I have cleared up some of your doubts or questions of henna. Yep. <laughs> Definitely, for sure. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through theplatinummask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at graymask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.